There's been a vinyl revival in recent years that have old and young music lovers dusting off their old record players for the unpolished sound of a 33. We're going to be talking about why people are returning to what was considered a dead media. Stay with us. This is Inquire. For the Mystery Inquirer, I'm Don Wilkins. Now with me is Doug Byers. He is the owner of Hard Copies inside the Town Square Mall here in Owensboro. And Doug, first, I want to kind of get into you know, your background and what got you into vinyl. Have you always been into vinyl? I, I have always been into vinyl. In fact, back in the 80s and 90s, I was a huge collector of records. And then I think like most people my age, we got real jobs and we're moving around and had kids and it's really hard to drag 1500 records around the country with you so I, I had to let them go it, it for it back in the early 90s when I had kids and then so of course it was bad timing but my thinking was everybody's saying this is a dead format it's not coming back I, I can't deal with this anymore I'm gonna let them go um, and then come to find out 20 years later it's back and it's huge and I want back in kind of things. So that's where my love for vinyl comes from. It's from my youth. And I guess maybe you could say I was trying to buy that back. And so now I'm not only am I buying back those records I had back in the nineties, but I am owning a record store now. So in the beginning, were you kind of particular or were you looking for unusual uh, records or rare records? I mean, what in what was it that drove you in the beginning? Well, when when I first started buying records, I was very into punk rock and goth and, believe it or not, things like Duran Duran and Big Country. But that's what really, you know, the stuff I was buying back then. Uh, maybe And a little, I kind of dabbled in speed metal because Metallica had just come out. So I was buying those records because they were the kind of hot hip thing. And I also really like early Krautrock, like bands like Can and Faust. And that led me into people like Loop and Spaceman 3. And that stuff is what really kind of developed my buying of records now. Everything I buy is really based on that stuff I was buying back in the 80s and 90s, which unfortunately because of that time period i can't buy now because it has got it's so rare and it's so expensive so i'm finding contemporary bands that sound a lot like that early stuff and if i can get it i usually buy that early stuff on i hate to say it cd because it's a much more affordable format for that kind of stuff but the records i'm buying today directly related back to the stuff i was listening to back in the 80s and 90s yeah now you mentioned metallica and I grew up listening to Metallica. Metallica, as far as, you know, their original pressings and their 80s stuff, very hard to come by. I, and I kicked myself. I saw it was a Garage Days, I believe it was. And I kicked myself for not picking that. It was quite a, I don't remember how much it was, but it was more than what I would normally pay for a used record. And and Metallica was one of those rare records. And I guess it's because maybe they were on a smaller label, so they didn't print as much. And, and they didn't really get big until after the Black Album. Yeah, and 
you know, Metallica's heyday with like Kill 'Em All, Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning was towards the end of vinyl. And a lot of times they only did one or two pressings of that stuff. And then it was all CD after that mm -hmm. because they were seeing the vinyl sales dropping off. Everybody was moving to CD. So there's just not a lot of those records out. The good thing about right now is that vinyl is so popular that they're going back and reissuing that stuff. So you can get your three nine, your 598 Garage Days Revisited for 20 bucks, or uh, Kill Em All for $20 or... Man, they just re did a remaster reissue of Master of Puppets, and I think it's only 20 bucks. Okay. So, you know, I had a few albums, you know, still in my boxes, uh, you know, like you traveled around through college and, and packed them around until finally I, you know, I got settled and finally got a big enough house where I could have my own room, you know. And so I started getting back into vinyl collecting here in the past, I don't know, three or four years. And I remember growing up and, my grandparents, you know, played a lot uh, of vinyl, and and I noticed like some guys, like you would think they would have a lot of vinyl, like James Brown. I never see a used or original pressing of of, of any James Brown albums. Uh, do you ever come come across James Brown? Occasionally, there there's just some bands you don't see a lot of, and I James Brown being one of them. I, I think some of it is because of the scarcity of those records. And some of it is because people just love that stuff so much that they don't want to let it go. That there's got to be some kind of, I guess, calamity, you know, a death in the family where they're trying to get rid of a relative's record collection that they don't know what to do with. That's when that kind of stuff shows up. But, you know, those, those people that have James Brown records or jazz records, blues records, generally don't give them up because they're rare, they sound really good, everybody loves it, and they just don't want to let it go. Hey, Don, I had a question. Since you're mentioning James Brown, I actually have um, what I thought was it was a unique piece, but it's uh, James Brown, it's an entire um, album of him playing only the organ, playing like all of the greatest funk hits. There's like a band accompaniment, but it's just him playing his organ. But that that uh, led me into a question of I used to buy records in Bowling Green, and it seemed like the used record shop I went to had a great soul uh, collection, great blues and jazz. So whenever you go to a town or you're out picking records, um, could, can you kind of like feel what the music tastes were in a certain time by what used records are there? I, I think stepping into a record store kind of gives you an idea of what that town is listening to in general. Yes. So if it was a big blues town back in the day, like say, I'm sure if you go to Memphis, you'll probably be swimming in Elvis Presley records and blues records and things like that. You know, if you go to Orlando, Florida and go in there, you'll get a real idea of what the people there listen to. I mean, I love going into record stores when I'm visiting a city that I don't live in because it, they're always going to have a different selection than what is in your hometown because you've got different eyes and different ears that live there. That, that So they have a different idea of what music is like or what music is. And so you get kind of this whole different view of the way this particular city views music. You know, here... You know, to use an example, this area is very big into like Five Finger Death Punch and Shinedown and things like that. Now, you go to Nashville, they're more into 
indie rock, Jack White, White Stripes, things along that line. You go, you know, to L.A., they're more into rock-based stuff out there. So you, you've, I, I always recommend, you know, if you're, buying, if you're into buying records, go to whatever record store is in that town and see what they got because they might have something you're looking for that you can't get in your own town, especially if it's something that's used. So when did you uh, decide that, hey, I'm going to get back into the record business and not only start you know, recollecting records, but actually go as far as opening up your own record store? That's a, that's a good question. I worked for Verizon for almost 20 years. And it basically, I was working there to take care of my kids because I've, I've got triplets. So it was a huge expense. So I worked at Verizon in their finance department and was there for 20 years and really just focused on taking care of them. So once they got into college and I was seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and they were not quite so financially dependent on me, I started buying records again. And really, it was almost like buying back my teen years. All those records that I sold back then, I now wanted back, and I had disposable income because I was not supporting three kids anymore. So I had all this money. I could save some, but I could also buy pretty much whatever I wanted, and that's what I wanted at the time. And it just kind of it, it kind of snowballed. It, it, once my kids were out of college and I got to thinking about it, I realized, you know, hey, I'm really not very happy at this job. And a lot of things that were going on in my life were kind of directly related to my unhappiness at this job. And I happened to have a friend that I worked with back in the 80s at the Coconuts in Evansville. We were two of the original employees. And somebody had told me, hey, Joe has a chain of record stores. If this is what you're interested in doing, you should call him. So I did. And next thing I know, he's offering me a job running his store here in Owensboro, which eventually we took over to Evansville. And he's kind of at a point in his life where he was thinking, you know, I don't know if I, I want to grow this business, but I don't necessarily want to own a bunch of record stores anymore and he had one in Corden, Indiana that he was not sure what to do with so instead of completely liquidating it he offered to sell it to me so I bought it and we moved it back to Owensboro because I live here so we moved it back here and that's how I ended up with a record store. Now in your record store you sell both new and used vinyl? Yes we do. I guess I'm a purist, and I prefer the analog, uh, I guess, pre-digital stuff. And, and that may be just showing my age. So wh who's your main demographic right now? It's, it's really kind of all across the board. I mean, everywhere from 15, 16-year-olds to, you know, people in their 60s. So are they coming in, and I, I guess maybe people my age, I mean, I don't know, maybe you do have uh, the millennials coming in now wanting the analog, but... Uh, are you seeing more people my age, you know, wanting the more used stuff, the analog stuff? It, it, you know, it really depends on the record they're looking for. Some people are happy with a used copy. Some people want a new one that's still in the shrink wrap. Um, it, it's really hard to say. And a lot of buying, it goes back to it depends on what you want and how much you're willing to spend. You know, I, I could have an original copy of, say, Led Zeppelin II that's a $50 record, or I've got a reissue remaster at $22, and, it, you know, it's up to them to decide what they want. 
And it's also, you know, it's law of supply and demand. If you've really got to have Led Zeppelin two, you might not be able to find a used copy of it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to go with a new copy of it. Now, are you, are you mostly selling new stuff, or are you getting, or mostly users, uh, kind of a half and half? Right now, the, that store is so new to the area that I'm not seeing a ton of used records come through it yet. And it, it takes time to get that flow going. It's getting better. So really, I'm seeing us sell more new records than used records. And kind of the problem with used records is... 99% of what you see and that what people are willing to sell are not in the best shape anymore. And if they do have a big stack of really good quality records, you know, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, things like that, they want top dollar for it. And it's hard for a retail shop to pay top dollar for it when we've got to make money off of it too. And one thing I've noticed, you know, whenever you do go buy used records, a lot of the times, yeah, the price is going to be based you know, how rare it is, maybe who it is. But then I've noticed, you know, that they may have three of the same artists, three of the same record. And a lot of times the price is based more about the condition the jacket is in than the actual record itself. Um, What goes into that uh, process, you know, as far as valuing how much a used record is? Yeah, there's there's a whole really a whole lot that goes into valuing a record. I think in a retail shop, we're more looking at it like what is it going for in other places. So we're looking at the internet, we're looking at other stores to to value that. But condition is huge and me personally when I'm looking at a used record, I want to listen to it. So I'm not always so concerned about the quality of the cover. I'm more interested in how does that record look? Is it scratched up? Is it still shiny? Are the grooves clean? And I've actually brought some albums that I wanted to show you to kind of get your thoughts about. And I've got an original pressing here of Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction here. Actually, I'm going to correct you. You um, don't have an original oh pressing. Oh, no, don't tell me that. Because you've got the wrong cover. i got the wrong cover. How is that? The original cover of this had a rape scene on it. Oh, no. And it lasted about two weeks I think, in the public, so before it, they pulled all of it and came out with this. So it's close to an original pressing. Probably. But the original pressing of this, and there's not a lot of them out there, and it's a really pricey record. We're talking $150. Okay. To get one with the original cover on it. Okay. Well, I did not realize that because it's dated, you know, when that album come out, 80, 88, 86, something like 86, that? 86, I think. Okay. There's, there's probably a copyright. I think 86, because I, I remember being in high school still, I think, when this came out. Um, but, yeah, the original cover of this has a picture of a girl leaning up against a fence, and there's like a giant crab alien monster coming over the top of the fence at her. Okay. I so that, that's the original cover. This is, And like I said, I think it was only out for maybe a two weeks to a month with that original cover before they pulled it. And, and what I based that on, I never knew that about the cover, is the year that was on it. I, I apologize. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to do that. But interesting thing about this record, I think next week, next Friday, the reissue of Appetite for Destruction comes out. And you'll find that there's actually songs missing off the reissue that were on this one because there's some language on this record that was more acceptable back in the 80s than it is now. So political correctness has forced them to remove a song or two from this record. I mean, are there albums, like, do you, do you have a personal collection that you say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to get rid of this? 
Yeah, I do. I have, I have probably about six or seven. So what do you what do you put up there as like your prized possession? Wow, um, I have. It, it would be kind of a, a grouping. I, I'm very into an '80s band called Loop, and they were in the UK. Most of their stuff was only uh, import here in the states. So I have every one of their records as an original pressing, and we're not talking just. I mean, these were in the first run, not a second or third or fourth run in the same year. They are all in the first run. They're all U.K. pressings. Um, And probably my pride and joy out of those records right there, their last album, which is Loop Gilded Eternity. And somehow I got lucky and found a 2LP set that's pressed at 45 RPM. So the sound quality is even better than the single version that came out that same time. So the the albums are coming out now. How how are they uh, pressed? You know, versus how they used to press them. They're actually being pressed the same way, from what I what I've read. That they that they have actually had to go and reactivate these old vinyl factories. Mm-hmm. I know, like you mentioned, Jack White. He actually bought right uh, one there. In, is it Nashville? No, it's in Detroit. Detroit. Okay, yeah, it's in Detroit. I knew he was living in Nashville or something, but. You know, I've been fortunate. I, you know, when I go around to these uh, used record shops, and it's it's that's one of the fun things about going into a record shop like yours mm-hmm. is you just never know what you're going to find, and then whenever you find it, it's you know like a second Christmas. You know, right? Exactly, exactly. I was I was actually at TD's down here a couple months ago, and he's got like a little '80s '90s record section out on his on the porch out there and I was flipping through there and one of the bands from when I was in high school was a band called Dead Can Dance and I've been looking at them online wanting to buy them and you know they're going for anywhere between 30 60 dollars depending on the condition of them and he had them in his shop for six or eight dollars and I was just like I did a little dance I was trying to be really you know casual about it but I'm just doing a little dance now I want to I want to plug I want to plug your store before you get out of here. Tell tell the folks where they can find your hours of operation and so forth. Uh, we are located in Town Square Mall. We are right next to Rogers Jewelers in kind of the food court area, almost directly across from Justice. In there, we are open mall hours, so we open at ten. We're open until nine at night, Monday through Saturday, twelve to six on Sundays. Now I want to add a caveat to that. Because starting June 1st, they've adjusted the mall hours. So Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays will be open 10 to 8 starting June 1st. Well, very good, Doug. I, I, I appreciate uh, you coming in. And good luck to you going forward, okay? Hey, thank you. I, I totally appreciate you guys having me on here. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. All righty. That will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Zug Byers for joining me. To send us questions or provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, its mobile app, and iTunes, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire.